0: Consort
1: with nerds, Chris. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do. You know, um, as one gets older, like, one has less time to consort with nerds. What but percentage of your time is spent consorting in the nerd community? I'd say a third of my time spent consorting mm-hmm. is consorting with is consorting with nerds.
0: A third of your time. Yeah. Okay. Uh. I think I mentioned before that there's a comic book store which opened up in my neighborhood. Yes. My daughter and I walk by it constantly with the intention of going in and forging a relationship with our friendly neighborhood comic book dealer. yes and being able to say to him, "Hey, I've got this very inquisitive seven and a half year old, you know what what do you recommend? Like and just buying whatever he suggests is is a good entry grade comic book experience for her or graphic novel experience, right? Yeah. The problem is, comically, this place is never freaking (laughs) open. And I mean, even my seven-year-old daughter comments on how ridiculous the opening and closing hours are. Yeah. We walked by on the weekend on Sunday. We we walked by at 2.30 in the afternoon. Which you would think would be prime time. (laughs) And the sign on the door says, closed, open Sunday, 3 to 7. Closed Monday, Tuesday, all entirely. And then uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's like 11 to 5. Even still, it's definitely executive hours. The Saturday-Sunday hours are 3 to 7. Wow. He or she must be doing great. People hate on Amazon. You made fun of me for buying a comic book on Amazon, but I tell you what, Chris, it was there when I needed it. Well, I mean, it was- Took a couple weeks, but.
1: but. Anyway, I'm Jason. I'm Chris, and I'd like to welcome everybody to another exciting episode of Full Cast and Crew, a charming, fun family podcast that features delightful family fare, including films where people are shot in the face, men commit murder using their teeth, people destroy others' lives supposedly in the name of love, and scads of deaths are precipitated when a dad just wants to spend some quality time with his little baby. So stick around, kids, because we're going to have a lot of fun and hopefully learn a little something along the
0: way. Wow. That is a dark and black-hearted take on, I think, the Disney family-friendly era that we are about to discuss today. Uh, But lovingly dark. Lovingly dark. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris, because um, I've decided now to always write a little descriptive paragraph about the film that we're going to discuss so that for people who haven't seen the movie that we're going to talk about, you'll have a little context. But much like your intro, and I'm just going to presume that your take on Witch Mountain is probably similar to mine, I would like to preface my movie description, much as I did, uh, I think, when we did the uh, Working Girl. Uh, movie description where my description was comedic in intent but did not represent my actual feelings towards the movie. Yes. And I want to be clear that as I embark upon this movie description, it too does not accurately reflect my actual feelings about the movie which you will hear subsequent to the reading. Yes. Understandable. I think that's great. Okay. So that's a disclaimer. I'm going to use that as a regular disclaimer from now on. (laughs) We'll make sure, get the lawyers to look at it, make sure that that it's legally I'm also going to try to read this live in one take. Okay. So don't fuck me up. With your witchy eyes. Okay. Escape to Witch Mountain is like your 1970s childhood distilled into essence. You and your sister Tia share telekinesis and the ability to control animals, wear nylon windbreakers and Tom McCann shoes, sport bangs, and carry star boxes imbued with mysterious powers. Cruelly orphaned for the second time in their young lives, Tia and Tony meet violent with an as-ever scenery-chewing Donald Pleasance. An actor who never met a line of dialogue he could not imbue with an eye-twitching, inner maniacal nature barely concealed, Donald Pleasance, as to be expected in any 1975 piece of filmed entertainment, works in the employ of Ray Milland in some kind of baronial palace haunted as it is by the sounds of not-so-distant baying hounds. After a whimsical harmonica-led marionette show peeped upon by Milan and Donald in the Neverland-before-there-was-Neverland children's room fitted with hidden cameras... The kids escape Milan's evil intentions to corner the stock market on nutmeg futures. Run into yet another refugee from classic era Colombo by stowing away with Eddie Albert. In a refreshing reminder that in 1975, anyway, a grown man could obtain two children and/or travel with them along coastal areas in a Winnebago without arousing the suspicion of witch-hunting townsfolk. In the end, Tia's recurring dream turns out not to presage by 20 years the floating wooden door scene in Titanic, but to presage by two years the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Well done! That's my synopsis of the fantastic and bizarrely, darkly, brilliantly fucked up kids movie, Escape to Witch Mountain. You know, I wanted to ask, why did you pick this? What was the impetus? I had a 1970s childhood, and it's always one of those movies that has been there in the popular culture of people my age. And it occupies a unique place as such because it's not just like another 1970s kids movie. It's really weird. It's weird for any kids movie. It's weird for any movie. And it's doubly, triply weird for a Disney kids movie because it has so many cool, still cool aspects to what's going on that we're somehow allowed to be. And I don't know how that occurred, but I've always been haunted by the first image that you see when the movie starts, which Mm -hmm. is the cutout of the two kids holding hands running towards you in the screen. It could be from like a David Cronenberg horror movie. Yeah. And it has this spooky electronic music playing behind it. It's just always grasped my imagination and I was so excited to watch it again. I actually watched it twice this week Wow! uh, because I watched it the first time kind of like just remembering it, not really examining it in the way that I would for this podcast. And then last night I wanted to watch it again just to try to figure out How and why it's so weird.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm glad for your response because it also was sort of in the back of my mind. So when you suggested it, I actually had a little bit of anxiety because for people even younger than me, in the pre-streaming days, sometimes you would turn on the TV and something would be there. And I think I caught part of the movie. I never saw it from beginning to end. And specifically the parts with her flashbacks Mm-hmm. of the shipwreck, yes. and the fact that these kids didn't know where they were from to then learn, spoiler for 1970-whatever, is Escape to Witch Mountain, They were something different between that and the flashbacks, which actually were filmed really terrifyingly, and to change the perspective from a boat to spaceships, all of that just frightened me so much as a child, and I never, you know, went back and watched the whole movie, so even watching it now, I had a little bit of anxiety before going into it. And the uh, dogs barking, like that background. To this day, <laughs> like
0: Doberman pincers are just terrifying. I think that the movie somehow, it captures this kind of age, like 9, 10, 11, in almost an atmospheric kind of haunting way. But it also, the, the lead performances of the two kids, Ike Eisenman and... Um, Kim Richards. And Kim Richards. They like embody a 1970s sort of suburban white childhood just in their uh, diction, in their clothing, in their hair. Um, And if you're watching the movie for the first time, spoiler alert, it's not revealed until the very end that the kids are aliens. Yeah. Although they have powers, which you would, of course, assume must come from some otherworldly source. But in the beginning of the movie, it's not until I watched it a second time and I was like, oh yeah, okay. So it's just so plausibly presented that like she can talk to him in his mind and he can play harmonica and telekinetically move objects that they can control animals. All these things that are kind of scary. Yeah. Scary powers to have. And the hokey effects now still... (laughs) The movie begins when they are orphaned for now, what we're allegedly like the second, second time, time. <laughs> in like their nine, 10 year life. And they're handling it really well. Yeah, like, well. Anyway, they come to, as all Disney movies start, Chris, the Pinewoods child welfare van comes to take you away. And, <laughs> and they, uh, they're put into an orphanage uh, where Mrs. Grindley, uh, the great Rita Shaw, who, Chris, you will not remember from Ghost and Mrs. Muir, which is a 1970s, 1980s childhood home after school TV classic, which she appeared on. She does their intake, and they have some scenes of bullying from a hilarious redheaded. Sort of proto Bonaducci. Well, I was going to say if he
1: if <laughs> Bonaduce, I guess probably was too big to this part. Maybe, but I bet. Well,
0: no, in seventy five. Yeah, I guess seventy five was his heyday. Yeah, He was.
1: A, the, you know, a couple years into Partridge Family, right? I bet this guy, uh, what's his name, uh, Dermot Downs. Dermot Downs. He definitely had like. <laughs> he's the guy at the bar now, being like, "I was.
0: It was no, between look. me and one other guy for Partridge Family, and that other guy got it." Dermot Downs like all 1975 child actors has had a long subsequent career yes. as a cinematographer. Well, and now a director, I believe. And now director. Yeah. So he you don't feel bad for Dermot Downs. <sighs>
1: only only that he was like, ah, oh, that one part, I was so close. It was between me and that one other guy.
0: The scene where the kids are playing baseball and Tony This is the first time where I where I I forgot this moment in the movie and and truck Dermot Downs who's like the bully kid hits what should be a home run over some trees and Tony in the outfield goes back and <laughs> runs behind a bush and then all of a sudden appears 15 to 20 feet leaping above the ground and makes this spectacular catch and even that effect is I was afraid in a yeah. child place you know what I mean it looked I, so weird yeah um, I think all the powers that they
1: chose to have like telekinesis, the ability to levitate, the dealing with animals, they're all stuff that you can do practically. And so that makes it
0: look a little bit freakier. And also I think as a child of this age, as the parent of a child who's basically this age, the concept of having control, of having the ability to do what you want to do is so appealing. And I think that's probably why this movie worked its way into kids' brains in the manner that it did. What's fascinating is that it was allowed to exist in that way. And maybe the people at Disney were just such geniuses. I mean, right. of course, I guess they sit around in conference rooms and wring their hands and talk about the granular knowledge they have about how to engineer entertainment products to imprint on young brains. hmm but this movie is so delightfully weird that it's crazy that it was allowed to sort of spring into that place. There's a whole
1: list of Disney movies that were much more a time when Disney wanted to be sort of frightening and a little bit mm. more adult, uh, which I think started with this, uh, but also included things like The Black Cauldron, Black Hole, um and The Watcher in the Woods, which sounds great. Sounds creepy. Uh, same By the same director. But it was just such, what you said about the powers is absolutely right, but it does this weird thing of making it a burden from the get-go. That for the kids? For the kids, that they feel isolated more than anything else, and they, can't, they feel that they can't show it. This is a theme that would become later bigger in things like the X-Men. But to me, that felt very fresh and different when watching this. Like, it seemed... Um, Right, like a, a bigger a bigger part of it.
0: Here's a clip of uh, Tony and Tia uh, at the orphanage prior to being uh, adopted, and they're discussing uh, some of their powers and and some of the haunting premonitions, which is another part of the kind of spooky child yeah. childlike stuff that goes on. This could be a Kubrick horror film, just yeah. as easily as it's a Disney uh, kid-friendly movie.
2: It's a map, isn't it? Stony Creek? Misty Valley? Funny, Tia, but every once in a while you get that look on your face. Like you're remembering something. I kind of do, but then I forget again. When I can figure out where this place is, we'll go there. Tony, what were you drawing? It's the place where those dogs are. They're barking now. Yeah, I know. I was listening to them before you butted in, and I began to visualize this castle. Tony, you can only visualize places we know something about or places we're going to be at. I must have been drawing someplace we're going to. Soon, Tony,
0: we're going there soon, and I'm afraid.
1: That's chilling. <laughs> it really is. Like, part of it is that weird it's music so, with the flashbacks, the oh flashbacks man.
0: themselves. Dude, the music is so good.
1: And that's such a great scene because it really does capture, like, this uh, This movie's perspective on childhood Dude, in general. like Shout just,
0: out to Johnny Mandel who did Is the music. music. He did the music for MASH and so well, many television shows and movies. Excellent use of timpani. Boom, boom, boom. Like the weird electronica stuff, which rather than seeming dated, sort of contributes to this creepy atmospheric thing. But the bond between these two kids as actors in this movie saves it from tipping over into one or the other. Like I always feel that they're together together in this movie in a way that keeps it from pitching either into camp or mm-hmm. like actual fear. Like there's something great about the way they are together mm-hmm. and their chemistry together keeps us kind of in a right place. And their kind of stylized dialogue and the way that they're talking, which of course by the end of the movie, you realize is like they're from another planet. And that's part of, I think what, the way that they talk to each other, you know, Tony, you know what I mean? Like, it's a little stilted, but I think it works towards that point. Yeah. The dogs. I, I, I'm going to be haunted by that now. Yeah. Like, that is still so affecting.
1: I wonder, like, I've never been much of a dog person, and I wonder, I wonder if I can they're trace evil. it back to this. They're evil. Just because that sound from far away of barking, and, and it's so ferocious yeah, sounding, to get so you. animalistic.
0: Yeah. Like, it's just such a nightmarish yeah. kid haunting thing to think about.
1: Yeah. And again, these kids, they don't know where they're, who they are, where they're going, where they're coming from. I, I just find that unmoored feeling is so- um, It's true. It's so
0: great. It's genuinely spooky and surreal. I want to say also in the titles, man, this is the second Disney movie from this era that we've done. And, you know, newsflash, Disney does a great job making movies. <laughs> um, but the titles for this were so cool. The poster is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I posted on the Instagram account. It's one of the great movie posters. The yeah. colors are great. The design is fantastic. I heard Leonard Malton's um, take on this movie. Uh, TCM has a bunch of clips from Witch Mountain and has an intro by Leonard Malton. And he actually said something that kind of applies to the first version of The Parent Trap uh-huh. that we also watched, which I think is 68. Yeah. And this is 75. He says that, and I think Walt Disney died in 1965. Hmm. And he said that there was an era after Walt Disney's death when many of the key people in place in the company really felt the importance of carrying on what his message was all about in terms of entertainment. And I think you can see that in both of those movies, which I think we, we both enjoyed the 1968 parent trap much more than the Lindsay Lohan yeah. parent trap. And this, too, has a lot of the same qualities of, of that classic parent trap in terms of the craft of the way it's made. Um, and a lot of it, honestly, I I ascribe to the fact that in 1975, 1965, you're still in an era where all of the ancillary roles in the film are populated by People who come out of the golden era of Hollywood and the studio system, system, and so every little part in the movie that you look up on IMDb has, you know, a thirty-year career going back to the the late '30s or the '40s in Hollywood. Yeah, and they're just pros. Like for an example, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Grindley, the aforementioned Rita Shaw, who does the intake in that orphanage scene, she's just such a she's a pro. Like, in in a small scene with just a few lines, she inhabits it. Yep. She delivers. She has great facial reaction shots. She's working well with kids. And this is her final role. And this was her final oh. role. Now, granted, she hands the kids over with nary a glance at some specious paperwork to Donald Pleasance, <laughs> which, God, I mean. Well, she's like, look. She did fail the children there.
1: Well, <laughs> it was a different time. It was a more trusting time. Who would forge a document? <laughs> and I'm sure- forge a document what is it, to Amadei, take uh, these children? You, Bolt. What's Bolt's first name? Uh, Usain? Not, no, <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Uh, not Amadeus Bolt, not- uh, Alistair Bolt? Uh, Rameland's part. Aristotle Bolt. Oh, of course, it's Aristotle. So Aristotle- As, as one is named. As you could tell from his, not only his house, from the way he lives- he can afford the best forgers in the business. Indeed. So, you know, Mrs. Grundle, Mrs. Grindley. Grindley. Can be excused for, you know, for, yes. for being, being hooked in. And also, you know, those kids were causing a lot of trouble at the orphanage. She could have been just as happy to get rid of them.
0: Uh, I'm just going to play this scene here, which is so good, of when Mrs. Grindley uh, just hands the kids over to, to evil guy who has a piece of paper.
2: Well, I think there's no question, considering these documents your uncle has produced, that he has custody of you. The judge signed those papers just today. Mr. Duranian? Uncle Lucas Tony. Better get used to it. Uncle Lucas, did you tell Mrs. Grinley about the first time we ever saw you? Oh, yes, yes, he did. The day the tow truck ran into your uncle's car. That was a lucky day for all of us. Hmm. You see, Tia... You bear such a remarkable resemblance to Mr. Duranian's sister, that he's convinced you both are her children. My sister, your mother, died six years ago. Now, if you have any doubts, I'd be happy to show you these documents that prove he is your Uncle Lucas. I won't have to leave Winky, will I? He's very smart, and he knows how to deal with dogs. Did I mention dogs?
0: I mean, what's amazing is if you have any doubts, I'll show you this paperwork. But, but if honestly, you don't I'd, have doubts, I'd rather not show to you. <laughs>
1: She's like, I really would rather not. I'm, I've grown quite attached to these contracts. And also every detail that they give actually makes I this is something that I do love about especially older, but I'm sure it happens in like horror or sort of suspense things. When uh when somebody is obviously suspicious yes. and they do things that are suspicious, but nobody notices. Yes. Like the very fact like, Oh, yes, oh. I just, I found, fa- the judge just signed them just today. Just signed the papers today. He, just after finding an envelope mm-hmm. filled with $100,000 yes. cash, and then, like, or showing up at the house with the creepy, um, the creepy exterior and the interior. Oh, my oh, God. It looks like a horror place, but everybody's like, welcome
0: home, children. Man, the locations, again, are great. I mean, yeah. a lot of similar locations to the Parent Trap, actually. I think that same hmm. Northern California pebble beach area is used here. Some of that beachy sort of the place where the mansion is, where the kids yeah. go and live definitely seems drawn from that. I will say that the orphanage the kids come from, not a model of diversity in 1975 for orphaned kids. Yes. Well, I guess it was a different time. I mean, it look. It a different time. Full Cast and Crew
1: is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76 and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and *C Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily.
0: Donald Pleasance, who... Works for Ray Milan's character. what is why is Ray Milan so famous? What is the role that I'm thinking of that? Ray Milan won an Academy Award for the lost weekend. I guess that's it. I, I kept thinking that there was something else, but but that's well, Chris, part of your job here is that you have a podcast called Full Cast and Crew, which involves you looking up people's I full did. cast and crew page and having <laughs> I, some awareness of it prior to sitting down in front of the microphone. I did look it up and I, okay. th- th-
1: I was hoping to get your take. Like, what do you think of as the
0: career defining Ray performance? Well, the career like defining, said, that's probably, that's probably it. I, well, the, actually the, I, I think the one he's probably most famous for is dial M for murder. Mm-hmm. The Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Um, that's probably the more popular film. The lost weekend is an iconic film right. for which he won the best actor obviously directed by Billy Wilder. And Milland has such a kooky, interesting backstory. Talk about like the vagaries of luck and fame. So Ray Milland, who was born in Wales, you know, had this career in England and then started in the studio system in California. And after having some success like in the 30s and the 40s, he had like a pretty protracted period where he was not working at all in the industry, had moved back home at one point, had a bunch of different jobs, worked a lot of menial jobs. Mm -hmm. He returned to California. He worked for a bookie. He was trying to find regular employment and he was offered the job as the assistant manager of a Shell gas station on Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. and literally as he was returning from his interview to be the assistant manager of a gas station on Sunset Boulevard he passed by the gates of Paramount and a casting director approached him and said we we have this actor who's going to be in this other picture who was injured and we need an, a replacement like now yeah and he offered Ray Moland a two-week contract at ten times the salary the assistant manager job would have paid him. He took the job and parlayed that into a longer gig, and then eventually, at one point, was the highest-paid actor in the Paramount studio system. Yeah. Now, Ray Moland, I, you don't know, have to tie everything back to Colombo. Uh, if you know me, <laughs> if you know me, you know that that's true. Both Ray Moland and Donald Pleasance had great, fantastic turns. In 1970s Columbo episodes. Ray Milland has two great episodes. One is called Death Lends a Hand and the other is called The Greenhouse Jungle. I encourage people to look for them. I believe they're both available on YouTube for free. The Columbo YouTube channel, the official Columbo YouTube channel, does include a handful of full of, episodes. Of full episodes. Wow. Here's a clip of Ray Milland in the movie with his, uh, what would you call it? an astrological council of some sort. Um, I'm not sure what the... Uh, Actually, they're
1: business advisors. Uh, Yes, sure. They all happen to be uh, spiritualists, and I think he refers to one as a guru, or that's actually how the actor is credited. Uh, But really, he does complain. He's like, you spiritualists haven't made (laughs) me more money.
0: What am I paying you for? It's fantastic. It's like... um, I'm not sure what they're supposed to be figuring out ways for him to game the stock market.
2: The moon is moving into Aries. Friday, it will near the middle of the transit. The bottom line, Mr. Michael John. The bottom line, Mr. Bolt, shows considerable indications of some advance toward your goals. And What about the house guru? Do you concur, Allie? There are profound vibrations, Mr. Bolt. Are there indeed vibrations? My moon in Aries, mysterious words and phrases that have not added one red cent to my fortune. Wealth, gentlemen, is like flesh. It has to be nurtured and coddled.
0: Wealth? Invest in the stock market. What are you... (laughs) I kind of feel like, you know, hey, Ray Milan, dude, it's not these guys' fault that your reliance on Swamiism <laughs> yeah. hasn't garnered you a ROI of over 7%. Yeah. <laughs> You're taking out on the wrong people, man. Yeah,
1: astrology is not considered a blue chip stock.
0: <laughs> like, that's the driving force for the Ray Milan character. He's seeking alpha, as they say. Yeah. Okay. He's seeking edge. He wants to know. What can he do? Who can he talk to that's going to give him an ability to peer into the future and, again, trade soybeans and other commodities, presumably?
1: Um, (laughs) Brilliant. It looks kind of funny now, but it plays so well, that businessman (laughs) and crazy occultist putting them together. And I think, like
0: you said, it's because of some good scenery chewing on (laughs) Rainbowland's part. There's a certain style of scenery chewing that I guess um, exists... Primarily to me in like 1970s television, less so once we get to the 80s, I bet somebody somewhere has written some sort of scholarly tract about the demise of histrionic scene chewing in televised entertainment as the influence of a more naturalistic film acting like, you know, the Easy Rider's Raging Bulls movement got us away from this kind of very theatrical Vaudevillian acting style.
1: And especially Disney, I think had more of a tether to that. When we watched Parent Trap in 1961, to me, one of the things that I watched about it, there was something so theatrical and almost like it was a stage show put on there. Some of the slapstick, the careers of these people that had stretched so far back, the opening credits... And I think this to a certain extent, it's a very different kind of opening Mm -hmm. credits, but I think it's still a similar kind of creating a mood in a theatrical way that as things become more naturalistic and that becomes uh, Mm -hmm. more prized, those things uh, fall away.
0: It's part of what I love about watching stuff from this era is you get the sense that when they assembled on set to film this movie, there wasn't a lot of fussing around with, you know, motivation and all this other kind of actorly stuff. Like, you get the sense that all of these people, even these three gentlemen cast in these unfortunate roles as swamis.
1: Right, there's the astrologer, the guru, and, so, and the one guy with the goatee who
0: doesn't get a line. So the guy with the goatee is, is is presumably some kind of like mathematician, I guess, or a professorial type. I don't know. I get the swami, which by the way, in Disney 1975 casting, that means an Italian American actor <laughs> with a white bedsheet wrapped around his head. He's the swami. Yeah. I, the the first guy, Mr. Good John, I don't know what he's supposed to be.
1: Well, he's credited Mr. Michael John uh, Hyphen Astrologer. So we have
0: astrology and Swamidam. What is that? That's I consulting think just some sort the of naturalistic
1: orientalist okay. idea of um, and then we have like the Ahmed
0: Erdogan character in the middle <laughs> who doesn't say anything. Um, but anyway. What I love about this kind of acting style is I think that the professionalism of everyone, even though the style is pitched a little high, it's pitched a little performative, you might want to call it campy or overacted. But in a way, it's like you can just trust that they're all going to show up yeah. and they're all going to deliver this stuff without a lot of fuss and bother. And it, it, to me, that gives it a charm. that I love that and the flat look of the way this is filmed. Yeah in that kind of, I don't know what this is shot on back in the day. It's probably not 35 millimeter, but it just has kind of a two dimensionality to the to the scenery. And it, it's really put together more like what I would call a TV episode. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. those sorts of musical and filmic cues about cliffhanger endings of scenes and music stings that pan into a set of wide eyes. And then we're going to cut to like a car going down a road by a yep. Malibu seacoast.
1: Just to backtrack, I think the third man was a psychic. I think just because I see somebody credited as a psychic in his- Oh,
0: really? Uh, so not the Swami? There's, there's guru, guru,
1: astrologer, and psychic credited. Oh, okay. And the psychic in his <laughs> in his IMDb photo, which is from Batman, the TV series, ah. uh, looks like it might be the same guy.
0: And the psychic is the guy with the beard? I think so. So Ray legend. Yes. Definitely watch The Lost Weekend, which is still a haunting and brilliant portrait of alcoholism. Uh, which he was scared to do, uh, not convinced that it was going to be good. And of course, in the ways of Hollywood, ended up winning an Academy Award <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after being plucked off the streets of a shell gas station. I know, Which well, is why Hollywood is a thing. Happy to be wrong. Like, I didn't be wrong. think it would be work. I didn't think it would work, but. Now, here we the way are. the kids fall into the clutches of Ray of course, is through Donald Pleasants, who. I'm I mean, so excited. This, I know, I mean, because of his horror bona fides, yeah. you're going to be all over Donald Pleasence. Specifically, and-
1: uh, Dr. When, Loomis. Not just Dr. But specifically, when watching this, I was like, Donald Pleasence, I see him everywhere. And I was like, but there's still something, like with Ray Moland, there's like, what am I forgetting? Mm-hmm. One, I remembered, of course, he is the definitive Ernst Blofeld- James, James Bond, Bond movies. Yes. But he was also in this movie,
0: Wake in Fright. Wake in Fright? Wake in Fright. I heard of it only in reading his IMDB page. Is it a cracked out bizarro horror movie from the 60s? Uh,
1: from the 70s. And it's in Australia, which is one of the things that makes it even oh, stranger. Okay, yeah.
0: Is it it must be bloody and sick? It's
1: yeah. It's it's not um it's not quite as violent as that makes it sound, but it's you are really getting into some dark uh, territory with the people in it, including Donald Pleasance playing this uh, doctor who sort of ended up in this part of the outback and just sort of stayed. And you have never seen a, a like a nihilistic, mm. dead end, but kind of like, hey, let's all go out with a bang mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like he plays in that. And I loved it so much. And so I could, once I sort of figured that out, I couldn't not see that behind the eyes of uh,
0: Uncle Lucas. It says that in order to catch a flight to Sydney, he takes a train to the nearby mining town called Yaba or the Yaba, and plans to stay there only overnight before moving on further to the airport. But things go grossly out of script as he is engulfed by the Yaba and its disconcerting residence. Yeah,
1: he starts. He starts like gambling, <laughs> loses all his money, gets you know. He has one drink, turns to another drink, turns to another drink, and then like days later is waking up like in, in the outback. And,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, there's a scene here Terrifying. of him fighting a kangaroo. Yeah. Well, so that's life out there. That's available. I might watch that. It's you. You'd love it. Well, Donald Pleasance. I mean, not the subtlest of actors. <laughs> it's not. I don't think we're painting him unfairly to say that he's. <laughs> He, but, but he is. I mean, he 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 is, and he isn't because, yes, he can he is so over the top, even in his stillness, yeah. But no one played a internally diabolical bad guy as good as Donald Pleasants, which is probably why he played so many great Nazis.
1: And also like you said, as Dr. Loomis, not not just an, a diabolical bad guy, but. A diabolical good guy. <laughs> yes. I was reading a good description that was saying something like, he perfectly captured the doctor who was one degree less psychotic
0: than his yes. patient. Yes. Only one degree. <laughs> Only one degree. Like, could have easily gone the other way. Also, tying it back to an earlier episode of Full Cast and Crew, he was originally chosen to play Blair in The Thing, but he had a schedule conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's why Wilfred Brimley plays Blair. That's an amazing bit of uh, alternate uh, casting. I want to play you just this tiny slice of Columbo uh, and some over the top insanity. This is from a fantastic episode called Any, Port, Any Old Port in a Storm, in which Donald Pleasance plays the driven owner of a winery.
2: I'm selling the land. What? The Marino brothers have made me an offer. i'm accepting it merino brothers the merino Brothers. the merino brothers 69 cents a gallon merino brothers they don't make wine they don't even make good mouthwash but they make
0: money huh i mean you snobs can drink
2: your
1: wine but i want the cash
2: to squander on fast cars and faster women. Don't talk about
0: spending. You don't know this, but I've kept a complete record of all the company money that you've spent on wines that are so fancy and expensive that you never drink them.
1: At least I'm not having fun with money.
2: You're an adolescent, you see a brick? Do you think I'm gonna sit by and let some muscle-bound hedonist throw me out of what is rightfully mine?
0: Just imagine having the balls to be on a film set in front of a lot of people and do that. Yeah, it's it's quite a skill. Yes, it takes a lot of
1: self possession. And my God, to <laughs> think the like the brilliance, oh. the gold, the jewels that were cast on a, a network audience like that was I,
0: fantastic. It's good stuff, man. This is why I'm a Columbo obsessive. I mean. To be Donald Pleasants and do Donald Pleasants like things on a film set, I mean, it seems pretty fucking easy. Like, guy gets up in the morning, drives to the studio, reads 10, 12 pages of Columbo dialogue with some histrionics and some twitches and some sweat beads. That's a wrap,
1: baby. What people call talent is that driving thing. The fact he's that's natural sweat. Those that's histrionics true. are coming from a, a yeah. deep place, uh, and that's something he would not fit in any other profession. Love Donald Pleasance. He's
0: fantastic. Um, Winky the cat I had a question about, was Winky with them when they arrived or did they pick Winky
1: up at the orphanage? I think Winky was picked up at the orphanage. You, oh, okay. I'm not 100% sure. I had the exact same question because she's like, can we take
0: Winky? Yeah. I was like, well,
1: didn't you bring him? Or like, when did you become yeah, such good with the Yeah, they must cut that
0: out. I love the scene where the only way they can make the cat wink <laughs> is to play the film forward and backward like four times. <laughs> Um, but Winky plays many, uh, important role. Winky saves the day in about three different conflicts that the kids are having. Yes. He jumps, uh, doesn't he knock the gun out of, out of somebody's hand prior to it floating in the air and getting ready to shoot someone in the face. In that scene you're referring to, uh, where the kids are being held at gunpoint, I believe. Is that, what, is that what presages that scene? Where the gun
1: floats? Like I think he's drawing the gun and yet I guess it is Winky that jumps up and knocks the gun out of his hand or...
0: I was so ready in the moment. There's a, so what happens is that the gun, like floating objects was obviously a thing that the special effects industry had just recently arrived upon. And in many places in this movie, there are varying degrees of successful floating. There are some very successful ones like the scene where... Um, Tony is drawing, uh, using a crayon with his mind. You can't see any strings or yeah. ropes or anything. Then there's some other horrible ones where the ropes are completely visible in the shot. Um, and then there's some ones like the floating gun scene where the gun is then pointed at a bad guy. And I was sitting in my couch. I was completely ready to have the movie tip over into the trigger is pulled and yeah. the guy's head gets blown off. Like I would have went there. These kids were willing to... To use a gun
1: yeah. to threaten Donald Pleasance and the guy who played Spock's nemesis in a very famous
0: Star Trek episode. Yeah, that guy was great. Mr. Underhand or whatever he's called. <laughs> he What's his called name? It Uberman. Oh, Uberman, yeah. Uh, which is like German brother. for Superman. Yeah. Like he's Spock's brother.
1: He is he's in two different Star Trek episodes. And the one that I was thinking of is the famous one where they were Spock gets horny because mm. Vulcan's only getting heat yes. once everything, So he's called back to Vulcan to marry T'Pring, yeah. but T'Pring has fallen in love with this guy. This guy, yeah. And so then there's like the very famous fight scene between he and yes. Kirk. Yeah. So Spock and Kirk have to fight and there's that famous...
0: I mean, the hall in which Ray Maland is seated for dinner is essentially like a Hitlerian wolf castle of yeah. some kind, complete with like red banners behind his head. There's a certain thing going on.
1: Absolutely. Like, what's the, <laughs> <laughs> again, that's the thing where the kids show up in this like <laughs> foreboding, dark, weird place. place. It's like, welcome. Although the, uh, their playroom, their bedroom- It seemed so exaggerated and so out there to be almost as freaky as
0: the flashbacks well i'm glad you mentioned that chris because i happen to have a clip right here
1: now after that long drive
2: i'm sure you youngsters like to see your new quarters come with me wow it's beautiful I haven't had time yet to install the carousel or the gymnasium. Oh, I forgot.
0: Winky's Private Quarters.
2: Of course, you still have your schoolwork. Your tutors arrive the first of the week. Oh, Mr. Bolt, where are the others? Are they kids. Neighbors, I mean. There are no neighbors. Look out of the window. Gone. Look as far as you can see. Mr. Bolt owns everything in sight.
0: You know, just a time when two middle-aged white guys could have a hidden camera-filled Neverland upon which to spy upon two children. I mean,
1: the bigness and the
0: brightness <laughs> of that and the fact that they are so obviously suspicious... <laughs> Uh, the cutaways so are amazing weird. to the two of them at the door looking at, looking at each other in nefarious intent as the yeah. children visit a wonderland of, they have their own ice cream parlor. Yeah, <laughs> um, And then, of course, Donald <laughs> Pleasance Winky. has to be
1: the killjoy. Yeah. Of course, you still have your schoolwork.
0: I love when Donald Pleasance is acting with Winky, when they, the last thing <laughs> they say, Winky has his own, like, platform He has to hold the cat and let the cat jump out of his arm. I mean, it's just, you know, that cat was no fun to work with.
1: He was either allergic or this was take 72. Yeah. Because the cat does not so much jump as get thrown.
0: Speaking of the cat getting thrown, there's a scene later on when I think the cat is supposedly jumping onto Tony, who's on a bicycle or a motorcycle or something. It's so obviously like a beanbag filled cat apparatus that sort of just gets thrown at Tony. And then he kind of like grabs it under his arm. Another hilarious thing. My wife pointed this out because she was walking through as she frequently does and goes, What are you watching? <laughs> but, you know, like many people of our generation, when I told her Escape to Witch Mountain, she got a like a transformative look over her face and she sort of plugged in instantaneously to this 1970s childhood experience of this yeah. movie. The hilarious driving scenes between where Donald Pleasants is 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 the passenger in the car with the with the Spock relative, are those... We're going to jostle the camera a little bit and have a moving background projected behind the vehicle. They're yeah. so good. And they just... Anytime they need a driving scene, they cut to the same shot of the two guys uh, going. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. Do you know who he... The, Tiger Joe, the security guard, who has two scenes. Who's allergic to cats. He's allergic to cats, which is a huge... Like, super uh, allergic. And I also love how he is uh, preventing the children from escaping <laughs> by holding some form of a lever, which... I guess, requires human strength in order to not open up a a, a gate of some kind. I would have been perfectly content with like, yeah, you know, the gate's too heavy for their psychic powers. No, no, no. He's in there holding it. And guess who saves the day? Winky. Winky. Uh, Anyway, Tiger Joe, he was a wrestler. This is another thing that I love about this era. I think this is the third or fourth movie where a key role is played by like a former 1930s professional wrestler who found (laughs) work in Hollywood for 30 years. Uh, the security guard is played by this guy, Tiger Joe, who was actually the model for the original Mr. Clean. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at his
1: IMDb page. <laughs> his agent's like, you just sit and wait. People are get- people need big guys all the time. Absolutely. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters, and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them, as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today.
0: Eddie Albert, who plays the kid's cantankerous savior. Yeah. I'm not going to play any clips, but he also is a classic Columbo protagonist. Uh, So you can look him up in any of the episodes where he plays the killer. You know, but not just Columbo. He's been classic, uh, you know, a lot of TV series. Tons of things. Um, But also he has a particularly great name, uh, which I think you'll learn a little bit about in this clip.
2: Maybe that's why I never married, huh? But Mr. O'Day, you were married. What? A long, long time ago. And she was so pretty. And you had a little house. Yeah, I can see it. It was white with yellow shutters. If Tony knows about people, he can see places they've been. What else? Well, your wife died only a few months after you were married. And you were so sad. You took an oath that you'd never give your love to another woman or to anyone. And you never have. I'm sorry, Mr. O'Day. The name's Jason. If you know so dang much about me, you might as well use it. Jason, you understand? I like the name Jason. We didn't mean to make you sad, Jason.
0: Those damn space kids getting all in Jason's mind and figuring him out. So he didn't mean to make you sad. I was,
1: really? You didn't think mentioning my wife?
0: <laughs> oh, Eddie Albert is so good. Noted uh, beatnik in Roman Holiday. Oh, sure, He's so man. He's a swinging beatnik. He's great. Yeah. Um, the locations are great in this movie. I love the road picture element that comes into it. I mean, when the Winnebago takes flight, the effects are hokey by today's standards. But by the time it gets to those things, I was sort of so bought
1: into it that the hokey effects. Yes. And it's also, it's just such a strange image. Yes. And then to have the helicopter. The upside down upside helicopter. Down helicopter. <laughs> this is based on a book. I wonder how much of the odder details are from that or from John
0: Howe, well, the, yes. uh, the director. Actually, there's some funny differences. For example, in the book, the children are befriended by Father O'Day, yes. an athletic young Catholic priest, rather <laughs> than crusty widower Jason O'Day. Uh, The children's ship is shot down rather than crashed. And the children are olive skinned, though with light colored hair. And in the book, Duranian is the main antagonist. And he's working for a shadowy European cabal who are trying to capture the children for their special powers instead of working for Aristotle Bolt. And the movie is set on the East Coast, not the West Coast. Oh, I wonder why the detail of an athletic young Catholic
1: priest but yeah, the fact that it was a priest as opposed to crusty old widower. Krusty I did widower. wonder um, You know, that crusty
0: widowers. just want to be left alone, man. And he just won't be left alone. He won't be left alone. There's that jerk at the... The jerk it, at the gas station Want wants to stick his nose and everything. Then when he tries to fill up the tank, he's got a guy peering in the exactly, yep. window.
1: Mind your own beeswax, bub. That was another one of those guys, and I looked at his IMDb page. Yeah, uh, and he's got just like an impressive 50
0: years of being that guy in a movie. Two lines and a mustache, <laughs> and he's fantastic. <laughs> now, speaking of youthful promise taking a 90-degree turn into American kabuki theater, The Real Housewives. Of all fucking things, for adorable Kim Richards to turn into, I don't know what happened. I mean, there's a, there's a sick underbelly of the Disney 60s and 70s. Yeah. I had no idea... That Kim Richards is a thing on Housewives. Well, not only is she a thing, she's like a big thing.
1: But she's also a former thing, like and a she former got fired thing. because of her her drinking. Problems. But allegedly. did you read anything about her husband, the guy that got shot the on guy, the what, street corner while on the phone with, <laughs> with her? Yeah, like that. To me, that was, can excuse her being a little bit off. After yeah, that. it's kind
0: of sad. I hope for Kim Richards' sake that she has gotten herself together, because. It's so gross to allow your lowest moments to be turned into Bravo television fodder. Here, Chris, is a little bit of Kim Richards on Dr. Phil. You need help, you need treatment. I will make it a gift from
2: me to you. I actually had told the kids that I needed to go recharge myself. Would you be willing to do a 60-day program? Not more than 30 days. I just haven't been able to find a place that fits my needs. I'm interested in one thing, and that's your long-term health and well-being. I know that. I'm not interested in your diva needs. If it's not in this area, and it's not close to home. Then we will come visit you. No, then I'm not going to go. I went away to an out-of-state thing before, that's not I'm not doing that. You just need to tell me you'll trust the process and and not make a bunch of you got to meet this demand and that demand. It's not about meeting demands. Well, actually, it is. You said, well, I'm not going out of state because then I wouldn't know where to go to my meetings, and it's got to be thirty days because then I have to go to this and then I've got to go to that. My daughter's wedding. You need to trust the process. I'm not going to miss my daughter's daughter's wedding. wedding. Who have I been able to trust? Who?
0: Why don't you trust me right
2: now? Okay.
0: On the one hand, you don't want to make fun of it because it's a, it's a terribly low moment for someone who's struggling with an addiction and has family members who yeah. are trying to get her to get help. But on the other hand, everyone has agreed to be on a fucking TV show and reveal that lowest moment. What
1: is really sad is, like, it robs these people of a personal life. There's no actual reflection because it's it's out there it's to out be there.
0: consumed. The, the, the look on her daughter's faces, not buying her bullshit in this interview, <laughs> I think what happens is when you grow up like Kim Richards grew up, and you're sort of a noted thing at such a young age, and then you have some cachet in Hollywood. I went down a rabbit hole, I'm not proud to say, of Kim Richards' housewives clips. It's the worst of us. Yeah. It's middle-aged women defiantly applying plastic surgery, prescription medication, and alcohol to outrageous behavior. Well, and like you said, uh about the dark underbelly of
1: Disney, you know, I don't know that I hold Disney response, but no, it's not Disney's response. But I, only course. in as much as because they use so many children. Yeah. There's something that can't be healthy about it. Well, it's you're not such ready a to be horrible, a risky child proposition. Star. Yeah.
0: And I should say that Kim Richards, by all accounts that I could find, post 2015 may have gotten her act together, yeah, and live a more sober and productive life. I hope. I hope that for her sake she does. But. It was such a bummer to be stumbling upon this current reality for somebody who, in the movie, is so beguiling in the best way and innocent. Well, we haven't talked too much about Kim and Ike. You mean how they then went on to do other things together as a film and duo?
1: (laughs) Another sort of Hope and Crosby. I did want to mention, because I did watch Devil Dog. Subsequent
0: starring vehicle for both... Tony and Tia and although they they're were not little, playing Tony and Tia though
1: but they are brother and sister so it starts out these Satanists come to a uh, dog breeder buy a dog they perform a Satanic ritual and it becomes like Satan itself ah. breed it so all of its puppies have a little bit of Satan in them and then just like destroy
0: these dogs so somebody was like we should do Rosemary's Baby
1: but with dogs exactly and so so once they have the dog what it does is it turns the mom and the two kids uh, played by Ike and and Kim into evil people who the dog turns them into evil people yeah because they're under the the influence of the dog exactly it's only Richard Crenna who's able to resist Mm. somehow and uh, it was interesting to see them play sort of the flip side of these two nice mm-hmm. kids. They seemed just as alien because their uh, souls were stolen. Mm. But they How do they um, get them they were back? little psychopaths. Do you have to drive a stake through the heart of a puppy. No spoiler for nineteen whatever. Burn dog. Richard Crane has to go to Ecuador. Oh, of course. He takes a cab, looks sure. at like a rock, and somebody's like, "Well, you know, you can also instead of this rock, I can take you for two days drive to this other guy, who then draws something on
0: his hand. So then he goes and leads the dogs oh, like draws a it or carves it. Just draws. <laughs> well, in Ecuador, it's a humid climate. I mean, by the time you get back to the airport, it's probably going to have washed off with sweat, no?
1: I'm sure that's in the IMDb as a as a gaffe. Wow. But, uh,
0: but yeah, and he goes and he just sort of like holds
1: this sigil up and like grabs the dog and then he might stab it or something, but he definitely hmm. like kills it. But it's but what all about all the other this-
0: progeny of the dog? They're exactly. still out there. Exactly. That's uh, the
1: last thing. <laughs> you know, she's there.
0: Oh, puppy. Stuck. Oh, we're so glad that we're free of, of this satanic thing. See, what I like about that is it's kind of like a local news segment that's like, you know, your refrigerator is killing you. I love the concept of like, oh, we got an adorable puppy, but we let Satan into our home. <laughs> that's a premise for a movie that I could get it's behind. It's great, yeah. Rants and raves, Chris. I'm ready. Let's hear it. I think you got something printed out. I'm. This is great. I see some highlighted text. I see. Let's go right in. I'm I've I'm got curious. both rants and All raves. right, where would you like to start? I think I'll start with, uh, with the rave. Okay. Oh. Uh, you know what I want to rave about
1: is uh, a Twitter handle. Have you ever heard of 41Strange? No. 41... 41- I don't know what the hell it is. If you it's go on the, the 41 Strange website, it's an anthology of short fiction, I guess. But they also have a Twitter handle. I'm looking it up right now. Which I enjoy <clears> so <throat> much because it's wow, j- 401,000 followers. Yeah. And I again the
0: short it's, stories bestseller out now.
1: I think it was just created to promote this short story anthology, which you know, maybe someday I'll consider thinking about potentially picking up. But I love this uh this Twitter thing because it's just Ooh, a very cool. well curated um weirdness. Weirdness and it's got like sort of a combination and example, a
0: combination of the elegant and the grotesque. There's an image of a squirrel sleeping in a coffee mug alongside an image of a Chinese couple posing with gas masks for wedding photos to protest pollution in 2014, alongside H.R. Giger working on the space jockey for Alien.
1: And even above that, there's
0: a a slow
1: motion gif of a single kernel of popcorn popping. So, uh, you know. That's a good one. One of my favorites is there's uh, bonsai gardens that are created on top of skulls by an artist from, I don't know where. Like dead skulls? Uh, I'm not sure if they're real skulls or, like, clay skulls, but they look mm. real. Good uh, find, Chris. In the garbage fire that is Twitter. The, yes, or, is the nice have, or the internet. I guess the internet The in internet's a garbage fire. Did you know uh, Douglas Rushkoff? Sure. Ever, I was hearing him recently, and he was, like, apologizing. Because he was like, yeah, you know, I used to be a real
0: internet evangelist. Yeah. And I was wrong. Yeah, we all, <laughs> like, I think we all it's feel terrible. that way. terrible. The bad far outweighs the good. <laughs> yes, at um, this point. Can I make a confession about uh, the space jockey from Alien? Yeah. That's always terrified me. I find that a hor- – uh, that's like that image penetrated into my psyche for yeah. some reason. There's something about the, the mask and the hose and the recumbent nature of it. I find mm-hmm. it terrifying. Yeah. I've always been haunted by the space jockey.
1: If he were uh, still around, I'm sure H.R. Giger would be delighted to hear that.
0: In fact – when, uh, what was the movie that came out recently that Ridley did where we sort of revisited the alien thing? Prometheus? Yes. I think that the space jockeys were featured there or Mm -hmm. some simulacrum of them. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified all over again. It's good to be able to relive that most primal of emotions. Um, That's a good one, Chris. I'm going to subscribe right now. I'm going to subscribe our Twitter page, following handle, account. Thing. Chris and I are aging out of the millennial... (laughs) Which is at full cast and crew. Which is, you know, which is no slouch either. Oh, I mean, it's probably not quite as curated as this. I mean, they got pictures and everything.
1: But on the other hand, uh, are more specialized,
0: more highbrow film. Yeah. they have, they have 401,000 followers, whereas we have a more discer- discerning, curated group of 75 Yeah, followers. that's
1: true. We have a very, so, very rigorous application process. Yeah, if you're
0: one of the people that selected, if we select you to be allowed to follow our account, consider yourself um, one of the 75. You know, shit, we do this for the love. We don't do this for the remuneration. I mean, it'd be great remuner- if we- re- You know, remuneration is one of those words that should be the other way around. Yeah. Shouldn't it? Yes. Why isn't it- Remuneration, numer money. I wonder, right. Is it <laughs> re, numere? That's numer? Let's count it again. Why is it remune? Remunerate.
1: Maybe mune is the same uh, remuneration as where money came from. Remune
0: money uh, yeah, paid for worker service. Remuneration. That's just a fucked up word. Whereas remuneration, it it flows off the tongue easier, mm-hmm. and it's not a word. <laughs> I'm. De- this is the kind of thing I could spend a lot of time. Well, you know, I'm I'm in no rush because the English language. A lot of
1: people say it's got too many words. Some people say it's beautiful. <laughs> Some people say it's b- big pain. But then the one nerd
0: you, the one nerd, the one word you really need, it's not there. What's the one nerd? Who's the one nerd you really need? If you thought about it, <laughs> if uh, it came down to it, who's the one nerd that you really need? Probably Len Wein. I'm going to assume that's a comic book writer, author, yes. illustrator. And editor. Yes. And editor. Okay. Let's hear the next one. I'm curious to see. What, so far, this is a positive. I have to admit, at first, you started out and you said it had something to do with like esoteric short form horror stories. And I was like, oh, okay. like, this is like, <laughs> this is the museum of writing. However, it, it ended up in a great place. Let's see if you can hold it up. I
1: doubt it. But did you hear a couple days ago uh, at 53rd and Lex? A, an escalator. Like oh, a yeah, man-eating escalator.
0: In, yeah. I love this. I mean, that was terrifying. Just the pictures were terrifying. Yes, the escalator um, started devouring itself and I think nipped at the ankles of a few yeah. escalator goers. I don't think anybody was seriously injured. I love this kind of stuff. Frankly, I think the machines should take over and I think that they could probably do a much better job than we have running the world. I have to say, yeah, you're um, I'm anti-human like, I'm very anti-human and pro-robot. <laughs> I, I love... Like, I was moved when the robot um, killed the other robot, you know, when the robot self-driving car drove into the walking robots. Yeah. I found that a very poignant and moving story. And the only thing that would have been better about the escalator story is if someone had been consumed by the escalator. Uh,
1: Well, you know, you have to forgive me if we part ways there. Uh, I'm sort of glad that no one got hurt. But the rant is, you know, the world is—so many post-apocalyptic stories assume a very discreet— Apocalypse, Yes. But I think what we are living through is a much more sort of slow motion collapse of literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> is there a term for that? Um, I guess just life, man. Like system collapse or something? <laughs> could be. And it also reminded me of when the A train derailed like two years ago. And I used to live in that neighborhood. Like I could very well have been on that train. Hmm. So this is somebody who was on the train when it... <laughs> When the doors, when it
0: derailed and the doors came off. This is a New Yorker, a New York commuter. Yes. <laughs> a grizzled, jaded New York commuter who just survived a possibly life-threatening commuter rail car accident. I'll read the whole thing, though. I may cut, cut some it out. I landed on my butt in the middle of the car. The lights went out and people
1: freaked out. The main thing I was afraid of then were other people panicking and smoke, which we started to smell. One guy was very calm and in a big, booming voice said, everything is under control. Duncan added that made me feel good. And then he goes, God is in control. And I was like, Oh great.
0: That is brilliant. That is so good. Wait, what year was this? I think it was 2017. Oh, that was before even all, everything went to shit on the subway. Even like this guy didn't even know how good he had it back then. This might've been the beginning of going to shit. I have one rave. Um, which regards the Instagram account for our page, which you can find us on Instagram at full cast and crew. Um, And we, I use that term liberally (laughs) post (laughs) photos of films that we happen to watch. And some of them we are watching for the purposes of the podcast. And when that's the case, we indicate it with a little microphone emoji. And sometimes it's just what we're watching, um, sipping through the course of the evening. And in that case, a little box of popcorn is indicated for, just for fun. Yes. Now I put the we in quotes, Chris, because I believe you have posted a grand total of one movie. No. I think there's like uh, four. Well, you posted the dog one. With the dog. boy. And oh I think yeah, they need to post the one with this, the mournful... Er, Mournful, and mournful, mask. mournful children. Uh, funnily enough, you did mask like two days after I did mask. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you weren't cycling through the photos, but that's okay. Listen, I, you know. <laughs> but I did do a
1: different image. When you go to a I, I had th- seen that you had done the poster. And so I did an image from the film and I did the wife, which I know you have not seen. Oh, that's true.
0: Well, look, I know you go to a lot of museums. You probably don't have a lot of time to see movies. <laughs> um, it's true. However, um. <clears throat> I just wanted to point out, I'm enjoying, as a result of the podcast, it's caused me to kind of go home and once, you know, I have uh, an hour and a half or two hours, I tend now to sort of look for an interesting movie to watch, and it's and it's and it's fed me some fascinating films that I hadn't seen before and some weird weird movies. I came across this movie called Winter Kills, um, which has one of those 1970s like everybody who is famous is mm-hmm. in it casts. And, I mean, I'm talking Jeff Bridges, John Huston, Anthony Perkins, Eli Wallach, Sterling Hayden, uh, Ralph Meeker, and Toshiro Mifuni. Like, what are all these people doing in this bizarre movie? (laughs) The pitch for the movie is basically that it's based on the assassination of JFK, even though the names are changed— Um, And I think the movie came out in like 1974 or something. And Jeff Bridges plays the younger brother of the assassinated president who is approached by someone who says, I was there, I was the second shooter, and here's where you can find the gun. And it sets off this caper where (laughs) Jeff Bridges tries to solve the assassination of his brother and his father is sort of chillingly played by a late career John Huston. Uh-huh. And the tone of the movie is so deeply satirical, but it also whipsaws into actual white-knuckle thriller and real violence and back again. So the tone is all over the place. I was shocked that I'd never heard of it before because it's weird and good enough to be far better known than it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just worth a a look because it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. And it's just such a bizarre concept for a movie. And the fact that all these people are in it, I have no idea how this came to be. And there's not that much information about it out into the world. So Winter Kills, Amazon Prime, it's available. Bizarre, crazy, whacked out mid-70s movie. I highly
1: recommend it. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And especially, (laughs) I love Toshiro Mifune, but I don't know that I've seen any non-Japanese film that he's been in. So I'd
0: love to see him like- Unfortunately- a mostly American cast. He plays a house man. It's like how not to use one of the great Japanese actors of all time. Like, it's a pretty bad role for a guy like that. Have you ever (laughs) seen uh,
1: I Live in Fear? When he was Um, 32, he played an 80-something-year-old man... He played this grandfather who was so afraid of the atomic bomb, he was trying to move his family and in 1950 right. Japan to be afraid of the atomic bomb. Sure. something
0: very different. And it's amazing. Well, don't see this because you're going to expect a great Toshiro Mifune <laughs> performance because you won't get it. But it is kind of like a proto-dude Jeff Bridges. Uh-huh. And it's a little bit akin to his performance in The Last Unicorn, which we've talked about. And he does something very interesting, which is he's a child of privilege, He's ostensibly rejected that. He's not going, he doesn't want to be the president. He has a very complicated relationship with his father and with the whole concept of who he is. Yet, he also uses it when it suits him. And like for something as mundane as getting a table in a restaurant that his father happens to own. Um, But he's also kind of blithely unaware of his own privilege. There's There's a scene where he returns to his apartment, which the way they shoot it, you're led to believe is nothing special. And then he opens it up and it's like, a 15-room palatial New York City mansion inside an apartment building right. with servants who have been just doing nothing. And I think they say something like, oh, we haven't seen you in several years, sir. Uh, but they're just like there ready to take over. It's, it's the most weird movie, uh, but it's it's definitely worth seeing and it's got a great poster uh, and you can read about it uh, on the Instagram account at Full Casting Crew. That sounds great. Okay, so Chris, on to headlines. Headlines. Are you ready? I'm ready. Now, I believe last week we read the story of P. Diddy's wax figure getting its head knocked off. Yes. This is from the New York Times. Are you familiar with that news source? Never heard of it. Apparently, 800-year-old crusader mummy's head is stolen from Dublin church. Damn it. Now, I read the story because a lot of people who decide to rob crypts mm. seem to be unaware of any horror movie ever. <laughs> okay? Of of the many things you don't do, like- like you are yeah. going to have bad things happen to you. Yeah. Even if it's from a crusader, right? Like, like a Especially, knight as opposed to an Egyptian pharaoh. No, because the crusader being punished for the evil deeds is going to come back oh, in a much more, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He's going to be in a rotten mood. Yeah. You're fucked, man. Apparently the intruders also defiled a section of the crypt that contains the bodies of the family of William Rowan Hamilton, a 19th century mathematician who paved the way for modern quantum theory. One of the coffins was broken open and its contents were dragged out onto the floor, presumably some pencils and paper. <laughs> In other things that shouldn't be done, my next headline is Game of Thrones Oreos are coming. <laughs> to celebrate Game of Thrones' eighth and final season, Cookie Purveyor Oreos launching a new line of chocolate sandwich cookies inspired by HBO's hit fantasy series. First of all, Chris, I am done with anything being inspired by anything, especially two things that don't go together. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the Oreos won't just take on its usual look. They'll be redesigned and come in special packaging.
1: But I mean, are they going to be like dragon shaped or? I don't know anything about Game of Thrones. I've never watched an episode yeah. of it. I don't know nothing. So I, well, I was asking is, I wonder what the packaging will look like or if they're going to redesign the cookie itself. Because they haven't done like dragon tie-ins, g- tie-ins up until now. I no? think now that no they know it's the final they season, they're like all Let's go for in. it. Because I feel,
0: I feel like there's stuff everywhere. This is my favorite story of the week. Driver fights Ticket. For using cell phone, he claims was actually a McDonald's hash brown. (laughs) This guy's a hero. Uh, His name is Jason Stiber. He has already spent $1,000 to fight a $300 ticket. He claims he was pulled over for driving while talking on his mobile phone. But he contends that the Westport Police Department made an honest mistake and mixed up his black cell phone with a hash brown wrapped in white McDonald's paper that he happened to be eating. Through his ear. A magistrate convicted Stiber, who represented himself... Admittedly, that's a bit of a warning flag. I'm aware. If you represent yourself, generally, you're crazy. Yes. You could dress yourself. You could feed yourself. You could cut your own hair, in even fact, if you wanted to. All those things are very right? noble. However, if you find yourself in a court of law, don't represent yourself. You don't know what you're doing. And everyone who does, they always think that they're the exception. They're the exception. No offense to Stiber. I don't know whether he's the exception or the rule, but he was convicted. But Connecticut law allows drivers, if they're unhappy with the magistrate's ruling, to take the matter to a trial judge. And that's what he did. So they tried their case before a judge last Friday. Stiber's lawyer, this time he had a lawyer, his lawyer said, quote, I've done nothing but criminal defense for 21 years, and I have a very sensitive nose for lying clients. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I firmly believe my client 100%. There's a lawyer who has too much time on his hands, which might be another red flag. This is the hill this lawyer is going to die on. Well, look, there's no victory like a pyrrhic victory. The defense insists it has phone records to show Stiber wasn't talking at the time he was pulled over, and a receipt, Chris, for the hash brown. The judge is expected to rule in this matter by April 5th. I guess it takes, you know, I'd actually like at that first, it takes it Seriously, at first I was on this guy's side. Now, after reading the whole story. Guilty. No guilty. Guilty. Okay. You know, I hope that judge is listening.
1: I, I hope the judge not. is. Listening. I don't want to get sued by this guy. No, I want the judge because it's like, oh, great, this will save me a month's of
0: considering and thinking about it. Chris, um, I would now like to introduce a new segment. Oh, great! And this segment is called. Are you ready? Yeah.
2: Es sollte ein deutsches Wort dafür geben.
0: Would you like to hear that again? Sure.
2: Es sollte ein deutsches Wort dafür geben.
0: Es sei ein Deutschland der geben close. It's Es sollte ein deutscher Wort da geben, which stands for, there should be a German word for that. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: now I came up with this segment because the other day I had something occur to me. And after this thing occurred, the thought came into my mind, you know, there should really be a German word yeah. for that. Now you and I have joked a couple times. I like those long German words that describe esoteric, nuanced human things that don't have convenient terms. Can you can you describe a few for me, Chris?
1: I mean, the the best one, of course, is Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Um, I know, I mean- After that, Chris is- <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the best one. It's so illustrative. Yes. Zeitgeist, does
0: that count? Uh, no, because I think Zeitgeist is more of a state or national thing, whereas Schadenfreude, and I think the best words of the sort I'm talking about, are about esoteric human interactions or weirdness, nuanced human- to human stuff yeah. That they mm-hmm. give these words to And you're Googling So by the time I'm done filling You're gonna yeah. chime, chime <laughs> okay. in With another great oh, yeah, example yeah exactly.
1: Okay I see Well, When you put it that way Uh
0: Weltschmerz Yeah what's, what's Weltschmerz I assume that's a Kind of sandwich No Weltschmerz is no. like I think the, the Is missing a previous era Or something I can't even make Come on Chris Welchmertz, literally translated to world pain.
1: Welchmertz describes the feeling of having the weight of the world on your shoulders. Boy, is that necessary.
0: Well, in our new segment, there should be a German word for that.
1: Deutsch.
0: Or, es sollte ein deutsches Wort dafür geben. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing that I'm going to describe that there should be a German word for. Have you ever had this happen to you? You meet someone at some sort of social gathering. Yes. You're, you're conversing with this person. You discover that you live mere blocks from each other, to use New York City life as an analogy. But you might say, where do you guys live? And I would say, oh, we live on and, and they go, oh, wait, are you kidding me? I live on and And I go, no you, no way, I've never seen you in the neighborhood. And you, you both sort of... <laughs> the person's you, like, every time I go to the comic book store, I never see I you I never there. see you. <laughs> But, you know, know, New York City, contrary to what people think, your neighborhood is a neighborhood. You're pretty familiar with people you don't even know because you see the same people coming and going for years and years and years. So if you don't know them, you kind of feel like you know who the neighborhood people are. Yeah. So you meet someone at a social gathering. Turns out you live blocks from each other, but you've never seen them. You never run into them at the supermarket or the coffee shop or the hardware store. Then, after you've met, you then see them all the time. Yes. There should be a German word for that.
1: There should be, yeah. Probably
0: like, neighborzeiten. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) Now, I I didn't have the time or the, frankly, inclination to bother Googling any of this to see if maybe it is is a word. (laughs) I'm sure that somewhere there's a repository of these words online, and some of them are probably good. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But each week, I would like you and I, or maybe it doesn't have to be weekly, just whenever one occurs, we can do the segment called... (laughs)
2: Es
1: sollte ein deutsches
0: Wort dafür geben. Won't that be fun, Chris? I think that sounds great. <laughs> Those are the thoughts I have today for you, Chris. Uh, well,
1: fantastic. Do you have anything else you'd like to end on? I do, actually, and something that I think is quite fitting, considering the film that we just watched. Okay. Until next week. If, like Tony and Tia, you feel like you're stuck in a world you don't understand and doesn't understand you, remember, that's the normal state of things, because. Crawling. <laughs> On the planet's face, some insects
2: called the human race lost in time and lost in space and in meaning.